You're listening to Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel, Las Vegas. This is where real faith meets real change. Be sure to listen to us through Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Follow us on your favorite service to get instant notifications when new episodes are available to download or stream. You can also check us out on social media at PC Las Vegas and visit our website, PraiseChapelLasVegas.com to find out more about what PCLV is all about. With that being said, listen up, because here comes the word. Fitz, uh, Las Vegas. And uh, I know it, that kind of sounds funny, but see, the Lord, uh, as I mentioned this morning, He's smarter than all of us in that He has a uh, plan and a way of reaching the communities. And so every city is different. Uh, you go to Flagstaff, it's not at all like Las Vegas. You go to L.A., it's not like Albuquerque. It's it's completely different. It, each city has a certain um, personality, and each city has a destiny. Uh, individual people here, we all have a personal destiny, and then we live in a city that God has a destiny for that city, and the devil always is trying to steal destinies. He wants to take yours, and he doesn't destroy it. He tricks you and you're going down a path, and then before you realize it, you're going down this way. And you're no longer following Jesus, but you're following a system. You're, you're, you're following a tradition. Well, this way we've always done it. Uh, I remember years ago talking to a friend of mine, he was a pastor, and, and I felt the Lord lead me, see, to be led. And he says, well, what I'm doing, I'll always do. I said, you really know that? So I'll do this till I die. And he, he will. And he's just following a tradition. And so you have to be careful about destinies, and you have to be careful about the enemy. The enemy that we face tonight doesn't care about smoking, drinking dope, and chasing skirts, and all that. He, he doesn't need, that's your flesh. flesh will, <laughs> your flesh will tear you up on its own. You don't even need the help of the devil. <laughs> Amen. And so... Uh, his strategy is always to be in church. He comes to church. He's here tonight. And uh, remember what he wanted to do. He wanted to uh, raise himself up to the throne above God. Well, you and I, whether we like it or not or are aware of it or not, the Bible says we're seated in heavenly places. So what he does, he, he wants to tag along. And he kind of sits in, and if we're not aware of him, we'll let him sit there, and he'll tag along with you, and you'll get into heavenly places, and he's sitting there right next to you. And when you're in heavenly places and he's there with you, he begins to talk to you, not as your enemy, but as your father. He actually talks to you as a father and begins to tell you who you are. He begins to tell you your future. He begins to tell you your capabilities. You begin to listen to him, and all of a sudden, you're no longer following Jesus. You're following the devil, and you don't even realize it. When Jesus came on the scene, he was talking to religious leaders. These were the men, man. These men knew the Bible. They protected the Bible. They believed in Israel. They believed in temple worship. They had that. They protected that. They were, they were the ones that guarded that. And Jesus said, you, you're, you don't even hear me. They said, well, we, we don't need to hear you. We, we got Moses. He says, you know, if you had Moses, you'd listen to me, but you listen to your father, the devil. Oh, man. That'd be like Kate and all the pastors here and say, you've been listening to the devil, myself included. And so we have to be careful about uh, destinies and uh, my life, personally my life, and then the city that I live in. See, Jesus came up on Jerusalem, and he spoke to the city. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I... I would have gathered you to myself like a hen gathers her chicks. I'm here to protect you. Jerusalem, the city of peace, the place of the capital of God. And he wanted that city. 
And we know today that city, uh, even in the natural, is the furthest thing from peace. It's a, it's a city of war and violence and hatred. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, capital of peace. It has no peace. It's, it's the destiny of that city has been robbed by religion, and yet Jesus had a purpose for that. He talked about Capernaum. He talked about uh, uh, Thyatira. He talked about all kinds of cities that he would minister in. He even rebuked Capernaum. He said, oh, Capernaum, uh, Sodom's going to rise up and judge you. He talked about a city. He says, uh, Capernaum, the miracles that were done in you, and you didn't repent. If the same miracles was done in Sodom, they would repent it. So you see, we have to understand that God has destiny. God has a destiny, and the way the destiny for the cities is fulfilled in church. It's at church and uh, the things that he does and operates within the house of God. So we must be careful and we must be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God. That's why maturity as a Christian, you're led by the Spirit. And Jesus said, I'm going to send you a personal tutor. Do you know you have a personal tutor inside you? He's a teacher. He's smarter than anything. He's smart, man. And he teaches me, and he leads me into truth if I will let him. We can resist him, and then he'll just, he'll, he doesn't force himself. Love will never demand itself. It just sits there, waits, until I get to a place of where I'm willing to listen. See, listening is so key. It's so important to understand the destiny and purpose of my life individually. Uh, your home, your children, they all have destiny. They have purpose, and God had created them to fit into that purpose and, and destiny. So, folks, we have to really uh, pay attention to the Spirit in the way that He moves. And so uh, I've known this about uh, this church, Las Vegas, and I love coming because I call it it's a good watering hole. Uh, my dad, he was in the military, and, and uh, uh, he belonged to the VFW. And the VFW is just, it's just a place for discount drinking. I mean, it, it, you just gather with all veterans and talk and, and get drunk. And, and so he would call that his watering hole. Well, I love, there are certain places that I have personally that are good watering holes. If I need a good watering, I, I know I can drive about four hours and I come in here and just sit in one of your services and I, I, I'll get a good watering, see. There's a couple of other churches that, that I'm aware of that. And then there's other places that are not so much in watering, but they're in uh, maybe uh, real teaching and apostolic. And, and they all have different personalities and, and ways that is in the community. Flagstaff is really a university city. It, uh, it's a city that has become more of a college town than anything. And so you go to a college, and you're, you're there, they're educated. And I've, I've seen this. I've been in Flagstaff, my family and I, for 20 Oh, man, eight years. And I pastored this one church for about 24 years, and I saw the Lord shape that church into a place. It, it was definitely an exciting place. It was definitely a place of worship and Holy Ghost and this, but it had more of a, of a, of a teaching where the Lord wanted to teach certain things. And so uh, understanding that, then, then I understood my place. He wanted to teach me, and I had to really give the time to learn of that. And I understood when people came, and they're going to come into that congregation, and, and uh, sometimes uh, Christians don't want to be taught. They like, they like drinking, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't really want to be taught. So they'd only hang for a while, and then, they, and then they'd just go on. It's just like school, you know? You go to school, like myself, in college, man, I went for about three years and got dro dropped out. I didn't graduate in anything. I thought school was to party. And so I, I had it all messed up in my head. And so church, a lot of times, we think, well, hey, I come to church, and I'll get a good old shot, and I'll go back home. But a lot of times, see, church isn't just meant for that. So anyway, each church, each city has different purpose, different, uh, different destiny. So I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 1. <laughs> and uh, I love this theme. I, I, Pastor, it just you have the mind of God. No doubt, no doubt, no, no doubt whatsoever, uh, the voice. And uh, we've heard uh, great ministry about uh, the voice and tuning in. And if you weren't here this morning, I just basically talked about a frequency. You've got to tune in. 
You, you, God's speaking, and if you say, well, I don't hear God, because you're on the wrong frequency. You've got to tune in. And to hear his voice, it's his spirit, and coming out of his spirit, the fire, he speaks out of the fire. Every person here can hear God. Amen? Can you hear God? Can, I'd like you to respond when I say, can you hear God? What, what I'm looking for is an amen, okay? So can you personally hear God? Can you hear God without your pastor? You see, we're a little, we're, boy, I hope I don't get in trouble. And pastor knows, absolutely. Can you hear God without me? See, that's better. Yeah, I don't need you. Now, now, I've been told by religious leaders that they said, without me, you're going to fail. No, I've been told that. And, and so, you know, well, praise God. He didn't save me. He didn't shed his blood. Jesus did. And, and my pastor doesn't live inside me. I ain't going to let him in, man. <laughs> Amen. I might have a demon or two in there, but I, I, there's certain people I don't let in. And so uh, I have to have such a confidence that no matter what problem I have, and I can't find the, uh, the latest preacher or the celebrity or the guy on television or the, or the uh, streaming the sermon, if I can't get to it, I don't need to. I have him. He lives inside me. Every, every one of us has to know that. See, individually, I want you really to, uh, to, to know that, and I uh, attempted to stress that this morning because I want to take you another step. And if you don't know that I have Jesus inside me, now when I have Jesus inside me, I have to get rid of all my excuses. Well, you know, I'd be better if it wasn't for my wife. I'd be better if I was in a different church. I'd be better this, better that, if I had a different boss, better job, more money, a bigger car, better house, whatever the, we blame, you know. And, hey, I'm with you, man. I love blaming. <laughs> it's a gift I've got. <laughs> it don't come from God, but it's a gift, man. I can blame. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would have been there, but, you know, I got stopped at the stoplight, and the guy cut me off, and I, I didn't want to cuss, but I did. So we, we know how to blame. So we have to get rid of all the excuses. I have no excuse. I have, no, I have nothing that I can uh, fall back on and, and blame anybody because I, he saved me. I've been born again. I have a brand new nature, and the nature I have has the capacity to hold the Holy Spirit. He dwells within me. See, the, the Lord really, see, salvation, folks, is something marvelous. And in the Old Testament, if any time you would touch God, you die. There was a guy that, you know, the Ark of Covenant and the presence of God abided upon that piece of furniture, and, and the guy that started to uh, move around and fall off this ox cart, and the guy reached out and touched it, and the Bible said that boy dropped dead. I, uh, Uzzah, was that his name? Uzzah? I believe it was Uzzah, the guy's name Uzzah. And, and I'd love if I could resurrect him tonight and have him preach. And my first question in asking Uzzah, what did it feel like? <laughs> when you touch God, what did it feel like, man? And would you do it again? <laughs> that's, that's two questions I'd ask him. And I think, now this is just me, okay, so you can whatever with it. So I, I really believe if we could resurrect him and say, Uzzah, what was it like when you touched God on that ark? I think he'd get this big old grin on his face. He'd say, oh, Joe, I touched pure love. And I just couldn't handle it and fell over dead. I was slayed by love. I fell in love with Becky. It's, she slayed me, man. But you touch God, and he's pure love, 100%, folks, pure love, pure love. He did not, Uzzah did not have the capacity to contain that. So you and I get saved, and I've been born again. And inside me, what's been born again, my spirit was risen from the dead. I, my spirit was dead, and my nature was a dead nature, and God quickened it. Boom! And I came alive and had the capacity to hold him. 
This marvelous. See, we, we don't realize. We sit here today and we're just all bummed out or we're happy or we're singing as long as they're singing playing, you know. And so, but inside, folks, inside, you're a container of pure love. Amen. Amen. It's like, see, none of us here are capable of putting your finger in a light socket. If you licked your finger and put it in one of these sockets, what most likely would happen is we'll do your funeral next week. <laughs> you, you don't have the ability to handle 110 volts or 220 coming inside you. Have ever, anybody here ever been really shocked by electricity? See, some of you have, and you say, oh, I'll never do that again. It startles, it shakes us up. I've known people have been hit by lightning, and, and uh, they survive, but they don't think real well. <laughs> Something happened to them, man. They, you know, I, I don't know, it's just too much, too much electricity. Hey, brother, hey, 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 right there. Don't, don't be picking on him. Was, see, he's already saying, now I know what's the problem. He got hit by electricity. <laughs> Amen. So we get, we get saved. And now we, we say, Lord, oh, I'm glad I'm saved. Then we call out, oh, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Well, do you realize the power of the Holy Ghost? And he begins to come. He fills me with the Holy Ghost. And, and what it does, it, it changes my language. I begin to actually begin to speak in a language I never knew before. Heavenly language and the language of an angel. I don't know what really kind of language it is other than God. I'm actually communicating directly with God through that language. That, that's why you can't understand it because your brain is, does not have the capacity to understand what is being said. It doesn't need to understand because your mind usually gets in the way of everything God wants to do. So you begin to pray in, a, in the spirit that we say are tongues. Tongues is just another word for language. I'm just speaking in language, and when I speak that language, I don't talk to you. I have a direct line to God. And so inside here, you and I have the Holy Spirit. We have uh, the, the nature of love that resides within me, and I can speak to God anytime I want to. Anytime, I'd be in the shower, I'd be driving down the road. I, I don't need to have a cathedral. I don't need to have soft music playing. I don't, need, I don't need anything. I can have a direct line to God anytime I want to by praying in tongues. Amen. Amen. Now, that's every one of us, okay? Every one of us. Now, with that understanding, and you believe that, and now, hey, man, I got it. Boy, I got it. To go the next step, that begins to affect a city. You have to understand this in Revelation chapter 1. Okay, Re Revelation chapter 1. Um, let me read just the first verse because it tells me right off the bat what the book of Revelation is about. I've read a lot of commentaries about this, and, man, they talk about wars and beasts and lakes and rivers, and it scares me half to death. Helicopters that look like scorpions and people shooting at you. and Oh, man. I've seen movies. <laughs> I, I, I've known probably hundreds of people have gotten saved showing movies like Thief in the Night and Distant Thunder. Some of you don't even know that. I know you're way too young, see. We showed those movies before light and electricity, and so we had to <laughs> hold up candles. And <laughs> You guys. <laughs> okay, get serious. Hey. Okay, ver the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. All that, what that is saying, it is a revelation of Jesus Christ and how he reveals himself inside you. There's a process of that love of Jesus inside me. He reveals himself, so the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. So you go down to uh, verse 9. Let's look at that. This revelation was sent to the apostle John. Now, John is, is a real historical man. He was a man. He lived uh, oh, a couple thousand years ago, and the, during time of his life when he got this revelation, he was uh, uh, exiled to an island, and he was actually being persecuted. The king or the Caesar of that time arrested John and said, put him on that island. 
and he would be stayed on that island. He had a life sentence, in a sense, on that island. The only way he was going to get off that island is if the Caesar died. When the Caesar died, then they were released from that sentence. So he's on this island. So verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion, in the tribulation, have you had any tribulation? Troubles. Okay, have anybody here have had any troubles? Maybe this is a bad, I need to move maybe to this church. Maybe you don't have troubles. <laughs> so John is saying that uh, I'm a brother and a companion. We're brothers, sisters, family of God, and we're a companion in troubles. <laughs> Amen. I, we get together, preachers, anybody. And, and uh, I love getting together because we start swapping war stories. And, and we tell about our troubles. Well, it's great, isn't it? We hate suffering alone. Nothing worse than suffering by yourself. And you have to realize the pain you're going through and the suffering you're going through, everybody goes through. Maybe not the exact circumstance, but everybody's got pain, folks. Don't buy, don't buy the gospel that says you just give your life to Jesus and all your troubles are over. You know, that, that'll just sell you a book and you'll lose some money and you'll get your troubles back. <laughs> it, you, it, so John is identifying himself. He says, hey, I'm a brother, and we're in the same boat called tribulation, and though the kingdom. We're not only in trouble, but we've got the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ. You have patience of Christ. Amen. Don't say, oh, I don't have any patience. Oh, you got a lot of it. You just don't know how to use it. It's inside there. It's all in there. Everything's in there. Oh, I don't have any patience, brother. Oh, yes, you do. You just don't want to tap it. Amen. You know what I mean by tapping. Some of you old drunkards had those keggers. You got to tap the thing to drink it. So, so he says that I have, okay, I'm a brother. I'm a companion in the tribulation, in the kingdom, in the patience of Jesus Christ. I was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. In your trouble, in having the kingdom, in the patience, which you're there for, is God the word of God. We're, we're talking about the voice, hearing the word of God. Well, how do I get the word of God? Get in some trouble, and that'll just come on its own. And you have the kingdom, and just hold on. And you're there for a purpose. See, why has God got me in this? Why do I go through all this? Why do I have these problems? For the Word of God. There, you have to be in a classroom, school. You have to, if you signed up for, to learn about biology, you really got to go to the class. It ain't going to just fall out of the air. The class in the kingdom of God for the Word of God is trouble. Amen. That's why James says rejoice when you fall into various trials. I want to slap James. Amen. If I could resurrect James, I'd say, James, what in the world are you talking about? I've got trouble and you want me to what? He said, rejoice, brother, because you just don't understand what the trouble is going to lead you to. So, okay, so we're cheering now. Amen. So Pastor Mark it down when they're crying and boohooing, they cheered for trouble. Hey, bring it on. Okay, so John's telling us something very powerful. Now, he was on the island, but he was in the spirit. You're on a problem, but I ain't in it. You got to catch that. I'm in the trouble, but I got to get in the spirit. I'm going to get in the spirit, man. I'm going to get in the spirit. On the Lord's day, I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. Now that's why, oh, yeah, Lord, let it be. You know what he is saying there? I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's the Greek alphabet. I'm the A and the Z. Everything written, everything composed by letters, and the full knowledge, I got it all. I got the beginning of it, and I got the end of it. He is so filled with wisdom. He's filled with wisdom. He said, you, you cannot, he, we don't even understand the mind of God and who he is. And he's coming to John. Because John is on an island, he's in trouble, but he's got some patience, and he knows the trouble didn't throw him out of the kingdom. He's receiving the kingdom, and he says, you know what I need to do right now since I'm in trouble and on this terrible island? I need to get in the spirit. Yeah. 
And once he got in the spirit on the Lord's day, Lord's day is more than Sunday. I don't have time to explain all this. He's in the spirit on the Lord's day. He heard a voice, and where was that voice coming from? It came behind him. He said, I heard a voice behind me, and that voice was as loud as a trumpet. There's something about trouble that makes my hearing better. I don't know how this works, but I know one thing. When I used to whoop my kids, they heard me real well afterwards. There's something about a good old spanking. Now, I'm not, you know, I know I'm a child abuser and all that kind of thing. But when I, when, when I would spank one of my kids, they listened to me. And after their, you know, their little tail ends are just kind of glowing and they go walking around and I says, hey, where are you going? I'm not going anywhere, Dad. I'm, I'm, a, I'm okay, Dad. See, a little pain always improves hearing. What is it? See, we're, we're messed up. It just, we're, that's just the way it is. So John, he's in this trouble, but he's in the spirit. He's on the Lord's day, and he hears a voice behind him. The voice is saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. I just love that. Well, I could spend hours just there. Just sit there and meditate. Just get still. Say, man, he's the first and the last. Oh, he's the end. See, how's this going to turn out? How's your life going to turn out? How's that marriage going to turn out, brother? Oh, I know what the end is. I know what the end of my trial is. Jesus. He's the end. Oh, the political scene of this America, man's in bad shape. How's it going to end? I'll tell you how it's going to end. Every mouth is going to be stopped in Jesus. That's how it's going to end. Now, hey, when you know the end of the book, folks, say, hey, there, there's something that happens to you. There comes a great peace even in the middle of the trial. So. I, uh, now, I want to touch some sensitive things. I don't want you to get real mad at me. But uh, I'm a real fan of the Denver Broncos. <laughs> I really, I, I know, every, that lady's getting, well, she's walking out, man. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. I, I'm sorry. I really don't like Denver. I just, I think the, Terrible. But I was watching this ball game Denver's playing, and my son Eric and I were watching this game. And man, it's a close one. I forgot who they're playing, probably some like Oakland or somebody. And uh, <laughs> I know, I know. There it goes. And now, now I'm getting near my love offering, brother. You want it back now? I said, give me that love offering. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> Okay, I see we're going down the wrong road here. I'm trying to get you back now. I'm sorry. Come on, Lord. I'm sorry. I've really, you know, I hear him say that. Okay, come on, get on with it, boy. So, Eric and I are watching this game. It's tense, man. I don't know how it's going to come or go. I, I'm, I'm tense, man. He's tense. We're watching the throw. We're moaning and groaning. We're just wanting Denver to win, you know. And and Becky, we were, this game we're watching has been recorded. And Becky comes into the house. She, she doesn't know. She knows the end of the game. And she walks in. She doesn't know. She just goes in. Boy, Denver did good today. <laughs> it, was, it was like the air came out of the house. I mean, it was just But at the same time, all my tension, all my tenseness and fear was removed. And I was able to just watch the game, man. Even if they were behind and making horrible mistakes, I knew the end of the game, and we win. So, folks, amen. Hallelujah. See, when Jesus came to John and said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega in the beginning and the end, do you see John is on an island? He's an outcast. He's on by himself. He's away from family, loved ones, no church, nothing. He's on an island. There's no way out. He doesn't know how it's going to end. Are they going to kill me? Am I going to die here? Am I going to be fed to the wolves? What is going to happen to me? And God speaks to him and says, hey, John, I'm the beginning and the end. And then he goes on and he says, what you see, write in a book, send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, and he names the seven churches. And then verse 12, watch what John does. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. 
And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. He says it again. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. That means so be it. And I have the keys, the authority, the power of hell and of death. Write the things which you have seen and things which are and things which will take place after this. The mystery. Now, this you got to catch this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand are the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So you have to understand what John is seeing here. First of all, the lampstand is a picture of the church. When we say church, what is the picture that comes into your mind? What do you think of about church? And so many times we have all various kinds of thinking about church, but we never really get to the heart of the matter. We don't really understand, are we having church tonight? What kind of church do you belong to? I'm looking for a church. And so we have all kinds of uh, ideas about it, but John is receiving a revelation by the Spirit of what the church is. And when he turned to see the voice, the voice was behind him. He hears the voice, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end, and he turns. Something happens to him. The voice of God will cause you to turn. When God speaks to you, because see a lot of times, oh, well, God spoke to me about this, God led me this, God said this. When the voice of God speaks to you, it will cause an immediate turn. You cannot go on like you always have. You just you turn. When you got saved, you got saved because you heard his voice. You may not have understood any of this. I didn't. And the voice was not in front of me. It was behind me. And I had to turn from what I was facing life. I was looking at my destiny, my purpose, what I wanted. I had to turn away from all of that and look at the voice. I wanted to see the voice. And so this is called repentance. When we say you need to repent, a person cannot just repent without the voice. True repentance. Sometimes, folks, we have to understand, a lot of times we're, we're, we're wanting to get people saved. We want to see them say a prayer or just do this, but they've not heard his voice. When he, they hear his voice, whether they respond to it or not, they will never be the same. Never. Because there's been many that I could be witnessing to or you're witnessing to or just something, you know, you like many have said, just your lifestyle, you witness to them, and all of a sudden something happens to their life and they're beginning to want to turn. Some that do not turn will always hear the voice behind them. That voice will follow them all through life. They will always hear that voice behind them. And the voice is still the same that, John, I'm the Alpha and Omega. I write it all. I've got your book. 
written in a volume. I'm the author of your faith. I'm the one that writes your life. I've got it planned. I've got a perfect plan for you. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to carry on through eternity and all the ages to come. I've written that, and I'm the beginning, and I'm the end. I'm the one that has hell in my hand and death in my hand. They're no longer rampant. They're no longer running wild. I have authority. That voice, you see, that voice is always there. They may not understand exactly what I've said to you because they haven't read this. They haven't turned yet, but they're what we call under conviction. Always. It drives them. They want to run away from that voice. They get involved in things that they would never, because they've got to silence that voice. But, oh, our God, he's the one that goes and hunts for that lost sheep. Amen. Amen. I don't want to step on your shoes or your feet tonight, but I want to tell you, if you've not turned to hear that voice, that, that voice uh, will nag you. It'll nag you. Love can't give up. Love is, oh, let me tell you, love is a fire. Love is passion. Love, we sang the song. Man, what a beautiful song. That unrelentless love of God searches, tears down mountains and comes to look for us. Amen. I wasn't looking for God. No, no, no man ever searches for God. Nobody. We didn't want God. We wanted a God created in my way. I wanted a God to serve me. I wasn't looking for God. But all of a sudden, thank God, he spoke to me. He spoke to me. And I don't know how it happened. I don't know what transpired, but I heard his voice. And I'm so glad that all I did was turn to see the voice. John hears the voice, and he turns and sees, and what does he see? He doesn't see the person immediately. He sees the candlesticks. Now, candlestick is really the right, is lampstands. He saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands was this one like the Son of Man. Lampstand is the church. When you begin to understand what a lampstand, you have to go into the Old Testament. When Moses was on that mountain and God spoke to him and says, Moses, I want you to make something on this planet that's just like in heaven. I want an exact copy that is in heaven. I want you to take out of the realm of the spirit and put it in a physical place because I want to meet my people in that place. Oh, what a wonderful God we have. And so even in the Old Testament dispensation, they began to put together what is called the tabernacle. The tabernacle had to have exact dimensions. It had to be made exactly the way God said so because it was to be an exact replica of what is happening and when we say heavens in the spirit realm. So the church was described as a lampstand. The lampstand was made out of pure gold. Pure gold. The weight of it was maybe they say, this is historical, the history of it, they say weighed about 75 pounds. It was to be beaten. It was not shaped by any kind of fire. But they would take it, and they would take a big old block of gold, and they began to beat it and make it into the lampstand. The lampstand had, had one main branch, and then it had three branches on each side of the main one. I'm sure we've done some teaching on that, and you're familiar with that. Well, when John turned to see the voice, he saw that lampstand. In the voice, Jesus revealed to him, and he said, John, those lampstands, uh, those seven golden lampstands uh, are the churches. So in the spirit realm, if we could see, if I could see, I do not just see wonderful, beautiful people that love me even though I root for Denver. <laughs> wonderful people where we kind of look happy, but at times maybe we aren't so wonderful. And maybe we ain't so happy. And so many times we begin to see the outward. We never see the heart. We never see what the church is about. We never understand what it means to be in the church. We don't understand what it means to be a part of the church because our feelings get hurt or it doesn't work out the way we want or been really hurt and violated. Many things can happen in a church. But see, if you could really see it, it is a golden lampstand. And on that lampstand, 
is the fire burns on each top of those little uh, shafts, and they were to be trimmed. They would have to be filled with oil. It, it wasn't a candlestick. It wasn't candles. Candles burn and wax there, but not a lampstand. A lampstand has to have oil. As long as you had a flow of oil going into that lampstand, then you had the light shining. And so when he turned and he saw this, he saw the lampstand. I looked it up, and the weight, if it's 75 pounds, beaten gold, it would have been worth about $1,313,000. Have anybody ever tell you, you know, you're worth your weight in gold? Well, you could, you could measure your weight and then get the chart and find out how much you're really worth if your weight's in gold. This lampstand was pure gold, pure God. And in the midst of it was the Son of of man. Right in the middle of the church, if I could have my eyes, oh God, that you would open my eyes that I might see, there's one right in the midst of the church, uh, and it is not baby Jesus. <laughs> I always do this with our church back home Christmas time. I say, well, get ready, folks. Here comes Christmas, and all we're going to see is baby Jesus everywhere. Well, John was an apostle that knew Jesus walked with him, loved him, leaned on his chest at the Last Supper. John was the one that Jesus said, my mother I put in your hands, John. I'm checking out. I'm going to die, but I want you to take care of my mother. John was the one that brought Mary into his house and provided for her. John was a special boy here, and now he turned and he saw this one that he did not recognize, but this is Jesus glorified. This is the one that reigns today. This is the one as he really is, and you begin, folks, hallelujah, you begin to go through that list, and you begin to see this one and how he describes him, and each, each description has a powerful understanding. This is the one that is in the midst of the golden lampstand. That that is the one that is in the midst of the church tonight. That is the one that is in the middle. He's not on the side. He ain't looking out. He's right in the midst of us, and he loves us dearly. He just loves us, and he wants to speak to us. Uh, he wants to have that voice spoken to us. Uh, and so when we come to church and we gather, you must understand you're walking into a place worth at least $1,313,505.14. Amen. This ain't no shabby place. Uh, this ain't no run-down joint. Uh, God is in the midst of this place. Hallelujah. Amen. That golden lampstand. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. When you have a church service, I don't care if there's 150 or if there's five. It does not matter the number. It doesn't matter the size of your checkbook. It doesn't matter if you feel good or feel bad. God is in the midst of his church. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, catch this. When John saw it, what had happened to him? What took place in his life? Yeah, brother, he fell over dead. Now, I love it, the slain in the Holy Ghost and all that kind of thing, but it, I'm afraid we just dropped because we're sorry for the preacher or something. Uh, you know, it's, it's really not comes out of this revelation. John saw Jesus, seeing him as he's resurrected, seeing the one that has all authority, whether in heaven and earth, seeing the one that is about to step back on this planet. He's going to touch down again, folks. This earth needs his coming, and when he comes, there will be no debate. There will be no arguments. There will be no fight. Every mouth will close. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Every mouth, including mine, including yours, including the president's, and including every mouth will be closed. And in all the one that steps back on this planet, and when he steps back on this planet, the Bible says his second coming is not because of sin. His second coming is bringing that kingdom, and he will step in and walk right into Jerusalem, and he'll begin to set up shop, and he will begin to call every one of you to a place where you will then join his voice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You feel that? That's him. Oh, yeah. Yes, Jesus. My Lord and Savior. Really? See, I can't. 
folks that really, he's going to use my voice to rule with him? See, the problem is, man, Becky and I watch TV, we'll hear it and see what everything's happening in Congress right now. And I said, my God, are they that nuts? Are we really that crazy? I know what to do, but I don't have a voice yet. I don't, I'm not in a position to have a voice, but folks, let me tell you, you will. Yes, you will. With his coming, do you think when he comes back, it's just going to be instant change? He says, oh, no, he comes back, and this earth is a mess. It's broken. It needs healing. It needs deliverance. And he's not going to just do it on his own. That's why he has you and I, his body. We are members of the body of Christ. And so, yes, he'll be headquartered. And, yes, we can go see him and worship and praise and thank him. But we will be assigned to certain places in this planet, and he will want you to go and speak the voice of God. This is what it means right here. When John saw him, listen to this. Come on. Listen to this. It says he saw him and the sound his voice was like the sound of many waters. How, what is a voice of many waters? It is where all the voices are joined together and it becomes one water. It is where all of you and I join together when we come and praise. What are we doing? We're really being trained. We're being trained to be brought together and begin to speak the same thing. We begin to have our voices tonight, just in this setting, our voices. You did not have a single voice, but all of our voices joined together to begin to worship him. All of a sudden, there becomes not just a single voice, not just that. Your voice begins to be joined with others, and it's not just one raindrop. It's all of the drops of rain that we may represent and that falls together, and it causes a river to begin to flow. And that river will begin to bring healing. It begins to bring deliverance, and it begins to flush out the devil. The devil may come in, but God will raise up a standard like a flood. And the way, he, the, way the flood happens when we gather together, the golden lampstand, lampstand is the light of God shining brightly, we begin to see Jesus and we fall like dead people. Have you ever died yet? Death to me at times is a friend. Oh, if I could just die and get out of the mess. Let me just die. I've, I've heard of Maria was telling Becky about the tragedy of these suicides. The death is an escape. They, they, they think they're going to go to another place and get out of their problems and issues. They'll be changed. Well, see, it's a lie, but it's a, it's a truth that's so twisted up. So John, he falls as dead. Death, it, you're dead to sin. <laughs> you're dead to that worry. You're dead to fear. You're dead to, to the lies of the enemy. You just die. It doesn't matter anymore. I was with a, Ron Simpkins, and he did something. He said, man, Joe, I hope I didn't offend you. And I just said, ah, Ron, you can't offend a dead man. And yet the church can be held in such division because of offense. We get offended. Well, you're not dead yet. Amen. You go to a funeral, go to a funeral, amen. And go watch the guys laid out in that coffin. You go to them, you can yell at them, hey, you're a bum. He don't care. He ain't going to even respond. He's dead, man. You can call him every name in the book. You can laugh at him. You can mock him, make fun of him, but he's dead. You can threaten him, I'm going to take all your money. He don't care. He's dead. You can search his pockets. It don't matter. He's a dead man. And see, that's what it means to die in Christ. I'm no longer alive, but I'm dead in Christ. Amen. Amen. If you got a habit, you're trying to break an addiction, come into the body of Christ, begin to worship, and begin to see him. That's begin to worship. Oh, maybe you smoke cigarettes. Let me just pick on some real easy. You, you puff on cigarettes. I, the way to break that thing, light one up. Begin to just praise them. Just worship him. Thank him. Oh, Jesus, I thank you. I just thank you, Lord, and I just praise you. I give you all glory. And something begins to happen. You can't. You can't keep smoking and praising him. You just, it just not, it just, in, you just die. You just die. I, when I first got saved, that happened to me. See, I can say because I smoke. And I bought me a Bible, and I began to read the math, the gospel of Matthew and Mark. I'm puffing away, and man, blowing smoke on the 
pages and just, man, Lord, you're cool, man, and just spoken and looking at that stuff. And all of a sudden, I'd be like, man, maybe I should put that thing out. Hey, <laughs> man, you get cha- you're changed from the inside out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Then we get into bigger things, such as gossip. It's hard to praise God and gossip. It's real hard to praise God and hate. It's real hard. See, we know. See, preachers are smart. That's why we worship first and then take the offering. It's hard to worship and be stingy. (laughs) See, at least we got that down. <laughs> Amen. We ain't just gonna be cold, say we're gonna receive an offering. Never one you would give a nickel, maybe. Oh, let you get worshiping and beginning to see Jesus. He's the end. Amen. All of a sudden my bank account ain't talking to me anymore. Amen. My checkbook ain't saying anything. That mammon ain't talking to me anymore. I'm serving God. Hallelujah. See this is how that works. You fall like a dead man, but what did Jesus do? He took his right hand. What's in his right hand? The stars, and what were the stars? It was the messengers. He takes his right hand, and he puts it on John. And the first thing he says, don't be afraid, boy. Stand on up. And that's our resurrection. You're not meant to stay dead forever. <laughs> we get hung up on that. I'm just dying for Christ. Well, sooner or later, you got to raise up, brother. <laughs> sooner or later, you got to quit being afraid. Come on. <laughs> and I know it's great you're dead, but. You know, slap them a little bit. Come on, come on. Be all right. And so when we, when we gather we gather together, see you guys over here. You're the drinkers over here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here. It's a little more sober over here in this group. <laughs> Amen. He's so wonderful. He's so wonderful. I got to end this. I know. <laughs> Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet dead. He laid his right hand. Oh, that hand of God. Light, stars. He imparts stars. You're a star. A star was to rule by night. That was when God created, read in Genesis, stars were meant to rule by night. We're living in nighttime, folks, and you're a star. But that star has to have his hand come, touch him, put his hand on you. God, put your hand on me. When that hand comes on you, that hand begins to remove fear. Take that fear right out of you. Some of you live in that fear. God's going to take that right out of you. His hand comes. I want to pray for you tonight. I want to lay my right hand. My right hand, I know who I am, but let me tell you, I know who lives in me. And by somehow... By his mercy and by his grace, he can move through my hand and let that hand of a star, let the hand. And that star, see, removes fear, and what it does, it brings revelation. The stars were messengers. They were the angels, they were called. They don't think of the ones with wings and, you know, 100 feet tall. Messenger of the church, the messenger, the one that carries a message, the one that's a voice. Your voice, you're not alone. You're afraid and you feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. When you praise and when you worship, even in your bedroom, now the remarkable thing about Jesus, listen to this, he, when we all sing together, what he hears is your individual voice. He doesn't hear us as a group. He hears you because your voice is like none other. Voice recognition, we're, we're getting into that where identity can be revealed by voice, and God knows you, and when you speak your voice, you say, Jesus, I love you. No one in the entire world could ever say that like you say. No one. So he individually can see and receives and loves and ministers to us, but at the same time, when I feel all alone and I feel what mat- what does, it doesn't matter, your voice is joined. It is joined with hundreds, if not thousands. Pastor Marie, you tell Pastor this, that when he speaks, see, when I speak, when he speaks, any pastor, teacher, when you speak, you're not just, it's not your voice. You're joined with all the voices. Just think of this city 
we drove around and coming here and so on through the city. There's a lot of churches here. And on Sunday morning or whenever churches gather and they begin to worship God, I don't care how they worship him or sing or whatever, but their voices are being lifted up to God. All of a sudden, it joins together, and your voice is just one of those multitude of joy, uh, voices joined together and causes that river to come, begins to wash out all the filth in the city, begins to wash away all of the demonic power and activity. That voice becomes that rushing water. And you keep reading in Revelation, and you get near the end of the book, and it talks about this beautiful city of New Jerusalem, and right flowing out of New Jerusalem is that river. It brings fruit. It brings joy and healing. That's your voice. Your voice in that river as we join together when you begin to sing or you're at home praying and you feel like you're on an island all by yourself, no, 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 your voice being lifted up is now joining all the other voices. We received this prophecy back home, and I, it's, it's interesting to me because it, it talks about the voice. And it, this prophetic word, it says, the Spirit of the Lord would want you to know this day, that when you raise your voice, it is not one voice, not a single voice, nor is it a voice in the wilderness. You've joined in with the voices of many, voices of archangels, voices of just men made perfect, voices of the church of the firstborn. You have joined in to worship and praise in your voice of the sound of many waters. Those waters go forth and even when the enemy comes in, but I will raise up a standard as a flood of voices that you have joined in with. Your voice is not by yourself. Your voice is not just one crying out, but have joined with the voices of those that have gone before you and the voices that are now. And even in my voice of my son Jesus, who calls you brethren and is in your midst and sings. You have joined in with his voice. The voices of many have become one voice, and that is the flood that will cleanse, will wash away corruption and sickness and poverty. It is the voice of my son sung through the voice of his body, and your song has joined in with the voices of many. It's a voice of many waters. And so the church beautiful golden lampstands. I, uh, I'd like to take you one more step. The first church that God spoke to through John is the church of Ephesus. And I want to read this to you. It says, these, Jesus, see, reveals himself to this church. God reveals himself to this church, every church gathering. He reveals himself. That's what he wants to do. So when he revealed himself, he said, I'm the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I want to caution you. I, I just I want to, as a, as a body of believers that I truly do love and admire, I, I just admire you. I pray for you. I, I brag about you. But I want to caution you. Be careful that your works and what you do takes out first love. The works that you do must come out of first love. And first love is him. He loved you before you loved him. He first loved you. He loved you before you were even born. He loved you. He loves you before you could do anything good or anything bad. He loved you. And that relationship with him is what drives us. And the problem we can have is that I can get so involved with the works that I have left the first love. You can't leave something unless you have it. 
You have first love, but you've left it. It's much as a marriage. Becky and I have been married 40-some years. And so there's been a lot of work in marriage. There's a lot of upkeep of the house, a lot of cleaning and cooking Becky has to do for me. And if we're not careful, I didn't ask Becky to marry me because I needed a cook. I needed somebody to do my laundry. It wouldn't have flown very well. I married her, wanted to marry her because I loved her. And if we're not careful, just like a marriage, the work comes in and takes away that love. It, it strips it of its love. And in the body of Christ, we're here because I heard the voice. And I turned. And I saw him who has everything in control. And I fell like a dead man. And he put his right hand upon me and he removed the fear out of my life. And he gave me a light of revelation of who he is. And so with that comes the work. How much work has been done just putting this conference on? How much work is done in the nursery? How much work is done in advertising? So much work. Even pastors work, get messages. You work at prayer. You work at everything you do. If you're not careful, the work begins to rob you of that first love. And when that happens, the lampstand, he says, is removed from its place. Sometimes believers can't find their place. Where's my place? And they try to work their way into the place instead of simply letting him love them and put his hand on them and have that communion with him. And then out of that comes all the work. So I believe the Lord has touched things tonight. Some, first of all, you've been hearing them, and you haven't turned yet. And you just have a hard time with it. I understand, and so does he. He understands much more than I do. He knows what you've gone through. And many times, not turning is because you're afraid. You're afraid if you really turn to him, then the things that you're trying to control in life, you're going to let go of, and it's all going to fall apart, and your life's going to be a mess. There's an element of faith that's involved in the turning. It's that, look, I, I'm going to let go. I don't know what this means, but, man, I, I, I hear something, and I want to turn. You want to turn to Jesus. You want to turn to him. Why don't you just, just acknowledge that, if you would, tonight. I, I'm not sure, but if, if that's you tonight, acknowledge that. If, if you can't turn, even acknowledge, say, Lord, I hear you. I, I hear you. I just can't turn. I, I, I'm just too scared. I don't want to admit it. I, I have to keep my hands up, but Duke's up. I got I to gotta fight to live. I, I got to, you know, be streetwise. And if I turn my back on this stuff, I'm going to catch it. And my back's going to be exposed to all of this, and, and it'll destroy me. If, if, if that's your place, the Lord knows that. And if you'll just say that to him, admit that, just say, Lord, I hear you, man. I hear you. I hear you. I just can't turn. Can you help me turn? That, that in itself is turning. It's, it's beginning. Maybe you can't turn all the way and just face them. But begin to turn some. Maybe that's your place tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't feel like you have a place. Turn to him. Just him. Say, Lord, I, if I have you, my place is good. Hey, man, my place is just in this love with you. I don't need any position or recognition. I don't need any of the works, all of the glory that comes with the works. If I just have you then, then that, 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 that's what I desire. See, then that lampstand, that wealth, the relationship, the light is so valuable, so important. It's valuable. It's beyond, beyond anything we could put a price tag on. And so you, you find a place, but you feel tonight that, well, I don't have a place. So you see the preachers and people working, and I just kind of sit here. I, don't, I just feel like I'm just a loser. Let him touch you tonight. Let him touch you. So turning, finding a place. Third thing I sense is the fact that there's this fear in your life. You feel like you are dead. You feel like, man, I just, I, I just feel dead. I don't, I don't feel any life inside me. Oh, I'll sing and I'll try to get it going, you know. And, hey. and you're good at that. And, and thank you for that. It helps me. Hey, man, if anything, you're helping me at least, you know. And so, but inside, you know, man, I'm just dead. That's okay. That's a good place because he's going to put his hand on you. 
his hand coming on you. He says, and he doesn't chastise you. He doesn't just rebuke you. He says, fear not. I have all authority. And that right hand of his coming on your life begins to give revelation to him. Would you stand this morning or tonight, whatever. You could tell preachers don't know.